I'm Wasir. And I'm Adriana. And you're listening to Undercurrent, a podcast complementing the Undercurrent art space at 70 John Street in Brooklyn. We are in quarantine. Stay safe, everyone. I'm coming to you from the Bay Area, and Wasir hasn't left his apartment in Manhattan in a week. <laughs> it's true, but that's why we're producing this content for you all. And this week, we're releasing the recording of a talk. In January, what seems like forever ago, Jean Brasilli of Seton Hall University moderated a talk at an Undercurrent called Working Artist, with four artists, Travis Leroy Southworth, Gianluca Bianchino, Lori Fredette, and Shoshana Weinberger. The general topic was mixing work with artistic practice. Right, and that was a topic you asked Travis about back in the uh, episode where we talked with him. Can you tell me how you approach these questions as an artist who is kind of getting ready to move into the workforce? Yeah, it was really interesting to hear everyone's, you know, different paths they had taken in their lives, whether that was intentional or they had just kind of taken it as a, you know, to supplant their, you know, artistic practice. Um, I think it all was a really good and important conversation. I know for me and for peers who perhaps don't learn a lot of like life skills at, you know, art colleges, it's, it can be kind of refreshing to get a very candid approach to what, you know, being an artist looks like in the everyday. Yeah, I think at the end of the conversation, they started talking about how uh, schools don't really have things like life skill class, like how to make a resume or something like that. Are you given any kind of instruction in terms of what it takes to succeed professionally? Or Yeah, I mean, it's hard because... I think there's all sorts of artists. I mean, I talk to people who are, you know, older, more established, and they're like, yeah, I was never really good at articulating my words in a written sense. And then for others, like myself included, I really love, you know, writing, and I love, you know, the process that comes along with it. I think that is a really good skill to learn, and the importance of being able to be organized and kind of treating, like, your your art as a well-oiled machine in a sense maybe not the art itself but if you do want to like market it or you know you know I, I hate to talk about it like it like it's a a product but you know being able to talk about it and represent it well I think is important and yeah we don't really get those classes at at school you kind of have to seek it out for yourself or have have some kind of preternatural skill at this kind of thing that you've picked up from growing up as an Instagram star or something along those lines. Yeah. But again, I think going back to what um, Travis was saying a lot of, which was the ability to kind of be in a career that allows him this 
almost incubation period of his ideas um or actually extending beyond that like he is able to work at work which is amazing you know and have ton of, kind of two tracks going on simultaneously um which to me was it was kind of inspirational it's kind of like um jigging the system in your favor in a way right right and uh there's the flip side of it is uh so it had a certain kind of resonance with me too because we you know when you're an english major in college obviously you know like there isn't a clear job path from being an english major you can do basically anything with an english degree but once you're in graduate school the idea is that the way the way the graduate program is structured is the idea is everyone's going to become a professor yeah and uh you know they the artists were talking about like that what was it that one percent that can make a living off of their art right whereas in graduate school the at least at elite programs um like the one i went to they have this kind of idea that you're all going to be professors and there's no there's no or at least there wasn't a lot of planning or anything like that for what happens when you're not in that rapidly diminishing group of people who get tenure track positions so they're working in the inverse in a way kind of and we we had some kind of professional development in the sense that a lot of uh, a lot of how the uh, phd program is is set up mirrors the sorts of skills you need to get to be a good professor so Mm -hmm. uh, what oral exams actually teach you is something that's valuable when you're a colleague and when you're when you're figuring out research projects and this sort of thing right but then you know i'm not a tenure track professor and the it's hard to figure out how how or whether my my uh graduate studies could have or should have prepared me for the job I have now. Right. And it's it's just unclear. But then but then there's also uh I really liked when you were saying and I, I understand this this tension with wanting to talk about yourself and quote unquote market yourself, but then you also feel awkward about treating yourself as a brand and so on. When the job opportunities for being a tenure track professor started drying up for me. I was uh, writing with my dissertation advisor who who said something like that I have to I have to own my writing better in the sense of and the the phrase used was you have to make yourself inevitable. And I really thought that that was that was a really interesting way of putting it in the sense that that I have I would have had to reach a point where my work was well known enough mm-hmm. that universities would start hoping I would apply to jobs. Right, right. I specifically they would they would hope that I would apply to a job there as opposed to me showing up as like who's this guy, you know. Right. So, and I think that I wonder how much of that reproduces itself in the in the art world in the sense that you you get a kind of break that mm-hmm. lets you lets you quote-unquote establish yourself and then you ride that break through a whole career yeah i i i mean i think it's again it's different for everybody um and i was just thinking about your story in relation to artists who do also want to become professors as well and i think that's a really good 
kind of way to see it in terms of just having faith in your own practice and your own work, as you were saying, and kind of building it outwards so it becomes, mm -hmm. again, inevitable. That's a really great point. I think, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like I'm a little bit still in the uh, gestation periods of yeah. just my work in general, but the people I respect a lot um, who I look up to as mentors and as friends, I think have stressed the idea of taking your time and letting the work be unfurling through your whole life instead of having the pressure of, you know, making it big and then, you know, skyrocketing and then, and, you know, inevitably then having to fall back down. Because that, yeah. again, th then the ascent after that is quite difficult and can be a little bit demoralizing in terms of how one sees their work. You don't really want to be a prodigy in that sense. No, I don't think so. I think I think in that sense you relinquish some of your own, you know, uh, autonomy in a way. But again, mm -hmm. disclaimer, don't know anything. So. <laughs> yes, you're, you're still new. I'm a baby. Yeah. Yeah, so hopefully the conversation that follows will provide further insight into these questions and thanks for listening hello welcome everybody who could attend um we're very grateful for the uh panelists and for our moderator uh to be present today uh for working artists um so i first and foremost would like to say today is the last day to see travis labor at southworth i am a portrait um, we are very grateful for him and his, his beautiful work. Um, and now I'm going to introduce um, Jean Brasilli. Oh my God, that? you said it right. Thanks. Okay. Um, so Jean is actually the curator at Seton Hall University um, at their gallery. She is also an artist, a writer, um, a uh, curator, as I mentioned. And did I miss anything? I think that's enough. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody, for being here. Closer, that way better? Okay. Let's feedback that way. So thank you, everyone, for coming. I really appreciate you coming to um, hear us speak on a sunny day, the first sunny day in quite a while, actually. Um, I would like to also thank Undercurrent for hosting this event and Travis for inviting us um, to speak. And we're going to be speaking about the topic of labor, both in and out of the studio, a topic that um, generally people, artists would like to keep under wraps. Um, there's this perception that, you know, we all have uh, practice in the studio and that we don't have to do work on the side, um, but it couldn't be further from the truth. And we're gonna kind of try and demystify the subject this afternoon. So I would like to start with some introductions and I'm going to, oh, what's going on? I would like to basically um, start with some introductions to each of the artists and I'll be playing like a little slideshow in the back. There we go, um, as I introduce them. So first is Travis Leroy Southworth. And this is his work um, on the slideshow here. He was born in 1979 in Honolulu, Hawaii. And as a visual artist, he integrates daily digital processes to open up discussions of computerized labor, 
self-perception, and temporality. His process often involves unusual collaborations in his day job, which I will omit because that's one of my first questions. Um, <laughs> And we'll talk about also um, how that feeds into your process. His exhibitions include uh, shows at the Martha Otero Gallery in Los Angeles, mixed screens here in New York City, the Doc Gallery in Basel, um, Thomas uh, Robert Tello Gallery uh, in Chicago, the Drawing Center in New York, and the Bronx Museum of the Arts. His work has been reviewed by the New York mm -hmm. Times, Basel Zeitung, and Art Slants. He's participated in the Artist in the Marketplace, AIM 29 program at the Bronx Museum of the Arts, and he received the Brick Media Arts Fellowship. He was awarded a NIFA Fellowship in Photography back in 2010, and he had a residency in Switzerland that involved a project with the Large Hadron Collider at CERN in 2013. Travis holds a MFA from the School of the Art Institute of Chicago and a BFA from the University of Arizona. And next, sorry, this is a little clunky, but I didn't do a slideshow because, uh, or PowerPoint, just because we never wind up talking in the same order of the PowerPoint. So to your right is Gianluca Bianchino, and this is his work coming up. There we go. So Gianluca is a multimedia artist and curator. He lives and works in Northern New Jersey. He's inspired by physics and architecture, and his work is focused on immersive installations, interactive sculptures, and they often engage with optics and technology. He works in both 2- and 3-D formats, and he tends to consistently express lyrical qualities stemming from his background in painting, as well as his interest in astronomy. He's originally from Italy, where he attended an architectural magnet school before relocating to the U.S., where he received his BFA in painting from New Jersey City University in Jersey City. And he currently holds an MFA from Montclair State University, where he uh, specialized in sculpture and installation. He's currently, I will not say your job either, he exhibits regularly throughout the New York area, as well as internationally. And recent exhibits include a show at the Sozu Art Center in China, the Governor's Island Art Fair, shows at the Painting Center, Shishama, Rooster Gallery, the Islip Art Museum, the Hunterdon Museum in Clinton, New Jersey, and solo exhibits at New Jersey City University, Index Art Center, and the Fire Station Art Center in Newark, New Jersey. He's been a resident artist at Ramapo College, the Center for New Art at William Patterson University. He also did residencies at Mona Contemporary in Jersey City and Gallery of Ferro in Newark. And most recently, he did a residency at the Gilbertsville Expressive Movement, like in the hinterlands of New York, all the way up in the Catskills. <laughs> His work has been written about in Art Day Fuse, Sculpture Magazine, Nautilus Magazine, and he's been reviewed in the New Jersey Star-Ledger and the New York Times. And next up is Laurie Fredette. And let me just pull up her pictures. I can't talk and shoot them at the same time, sorry. Okay. There we go. So Lori received her BFA in 1990 from the Heron School of Art at Indiana University. Her recent solo exhibitions include the San Jose Institute of Contemporary Art in California, the Cherry Art Space in Ithaca, New York, the Museum of Contemporary Art in Jacksonville, Florida, 
the Art and History Museums in Maitland, Florida, and the Cape Cod Museum of Art in Dennis, Massachusetts. Lori's installations have been reviewed in The Times, New York Times, The Brooklyn Rail, Site Art Magazine, and Sculpture Magazine. She has uh, <laughs> a track record of international and national exhibitions, including at the Heron School of Art and Design in Indianapolis, the University of Tennessee in Knoxville, Mass Mocha in North Adams, Massachusetts, the Hunterdon Museum of Art, and can you pronounce this one? In, thank you. Art Museum in Finland. Thank you. And recent curatorial projects include Indigo, the seventh color at Lab Space in Hillsdale, New York. And she also co-curated the show Compendium at the Islip Art Museum, an exhibition which highlighted the overlapping influence influences of science and art. She was awarded a NIFA Foundation grant twice, and she participated in guest residencies and lectures at the Constance Saltonstall Foundation in Ithaca, the Q Art Foundation in New York, and Columbia University. Her work, was her work is included in collections at the Museum of Contemporary Art in Jacksonville, Intercept Pharmaceutical, and say it again, the Finland Yavaskula. Art Museum. <laughs> You currently live and work in New, uh, New York's scenic Hudson Valley. Thank you for your translation assistance or pronunciation assistance. Okay, and last but not least is Shoshana Weinberger. And, there we go. Okay, so Shoshana was born in Kingston, Jamaica, and she received her BFA from the School of the Art Institute in Chicago in 1995 and her MFA from Yale in 2003. She lives and works in Newark, New Jersey, and has been doing so since 2006. Her work explores the standards and consequential implications and experiences of racial identity and external perception or imposition of racial categorization. Much of her work is rooted in an exploration of her Caribbean American heritage. Her work draws upon the complexity of heritage and assumed norms, referencing her own adolescent memory and our current xenophobic zeitgeist. She renders female muses along with a spectrum of character types. Some are excessive, sexualized, and quirky, while others are passive, dominant, or a culmination of figures that ultimately question standards and psychology of beauty and identity. Her work has been exhibited nationally and internationally in numerous invitational group and solo exhibitions. She is a five-time participant in the Jamaica Biennial between the years of 2006 to 2017, um, and that is held in Kingston, Jamaica. Her work was exhibited in 2013 in the Martinique Biennial. She's been the recipient of several awards, residencies, and grants that include a 2014 Joan Mitchell Foundation Painters and Sculptors Grant, as well as a 2015 Joan Mitchell Art Center Artist in Residence uh, Award in New Orleans in 2016. She also received a fellowship from the New Jersey State Council of the Arts. Um, she, was a resident, she was a resident at the Project for Empty Space in Newark, New Jersey. She received the Dawn Scott Memorial Award presented by the National Gallery of Jamaica and Edward Gomez, sorry, that's a dual award. Um, and she was appointed in the 2019-2020 Macmillan Stewart Endowed Chair in Painting at the Maryland Institute of contemporary art. She is also in public collections, including the New Jersey State Museum in Trenton, the Newark Museum in Newark, the Sagamore Collection in Miami, 
the Girls Club Collection in Fort Lauderdale, the Margulies Collection in Miami, the Davidson Collection in Davidson, North Carolina, and the AC Kingston Collection in Kingston, Jamaica. So thank you all. I'm very pleased to be on a panel with all of these very distinguished artists. And now let's get a little more to the meat of the matter at hand of the working artists. Um, if you guys need me to illustrate anything, you can tell me to pull up a particular slide, but for now, I'll just kind of, I don't want to be distracted by that thing scrolling around. So I'll just put that up until we need something further. Um, okay. So on the subject of jobs, let's start out with talking about your day jobs. Um, and what is your day job? And did you choose it because it worked around your art practice or do you by necessity need to work your art practice around your day job schedule? We can go from one side of the table to the other if you want. Sure. Uh, hi, I'm Travis. Um, oh, I'm so sorry. I forgot to, well, come on. I, well, I did kind of, I said it was that order. <laughs> the artist. Uh, my uh, current day job is working as a photo retoucher. Uh, it's actually something I've been doing for probably almost 20 years now. Um, and what was the other part of the question? So basically, do you, do you plan your practice around your day job or did you choose your job because mm -hmm. it fits into your art practice? Yeah, I think in the late 90s when I really started playing around with Photoshop uh, as part of my artistic practice and I just got really good at it and it sort of became this thing. I was like, oh, I can actually be retouching images in the fashion industry. And then it started to come back and feed into my artistic practice uh, several years after that like late 2000s. John Luca. Um, yep. I'm adjunct faculty um, at three different colleges right now, two in New Jersey, uh, one in Manhattan. Um, <clears throat> I think I chose the job because it fit uh, my artistic practice. I always knew I wanted to be a teacher at college level since uh, I received my BFA uh, 20 years ago. Uh, but I had to go through a process um, green card and all that. So certain there were jobs that for years I couldn't do. Um, so yeah, it has finally worked out and I have pretty good rhythm going. Uh, and I like the kind of flexibility of teaching schedule. Um, and it's a job that kind of keeps me in tune with the arts sort of like updates me on what I'm supposed to know anyway. So that, that part's good. I'm Lori Fredette. Um, I work full-time out of the studio as a manager for an artist paint company. Um, and I would say um, as a manager, I'm overseeing the, my primary focus is to oversee the fiscal operations. And then I help to oversee a workshop program and a front office. Um, and it is, as far as it, me choosing the job or the job choosing me, yes. <laughs> both. <laughs> both, because I'm fortunate to work for a really great company that is very flexible with the schedule. If I need time off, they're very accommodating because I work with all other artists. And so, you, so basically, when you pick the job, you kind of actually kind of interviewed them to see about their flexibility. Or? I'm. I have this like lovely brief story, which was I was asked to join the company. And that has never happened in all of my life before I was asked. So, mm -hmm. so I feel honored to be there. I felt honored to be with them. That may be the first time uh, in the last year I, I switched positions and I was asked to come. It's like being someone. asked to be in a show, right? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow. <laughs> so what's your day job, Shoshana? And what is, uh, your, what is your story? My story. 
this comes from a deep dark. No, um, I have uh, had a day job, the same, I've been working for the same company for the past 14 years. Um, I've never not had a job. Um, before I mentioned what that company is, I'm, both my parents were artists. So when I was in high school, it was like, take typing classes. You know, there's this thing called a Macintosh. You should learn about the computer. So the idea that watching my own parents getting jobs and my father going from the School of Visual Arts to doing advertisement and then going and working for the family sundries business, the totally opposite of the art world to, to sustain and support his family. I realized that from a young age, I had to sustain and support my artist, my art practice. So a little fast forward, um, every, every job that I've taken allowed me to kind of like hone in on what it is to sort of mold my studio practice. So I work uh, at Crozier Fine Arts in Newark. I've worked there since 2006, for going on my 14th year. I uh, found the job because um, I didn't like my, my former job, which was uh, teaching for a nonprofit program, arts program, which I won't mention because they're really good, but I, they just didn't pay enough. I didn't have health care. So that was another reason why I needed the job. Um, and I wanted a studio. And uh, so in 2006, I started as an administrator. And then I started over the time going and getting account manager. And as a mom and pop, uh, Crozier was a mom and pop uh, company. It's not anymore. It's corporate now. So it was flexible. Mm -hmm. I worked with artists, musicians, actors who were like, ah, I got to I got to do a traveling uh, show. I, I can't. I can't be an art handler, so they go off. So I, for me, it was actually just five minute drive from my house, um, and it just seemed really easy. Uh, I could turn it off at five thirty and go right to the studio. So from account manager to um, being taking a break, I took some time off to do an artist residency. And when I came back, they actually asked me to be the director of administration. So I had this like registration collection management. Uh, background from undergrad to graduate school. So kind of like every job I've had has always been, I've always honed into my studio practice, finding jobs that will allow me to know how to like pack my artwork or how to speak to a curator or how to, you know, give, give, give a gallery all the details they'll need before they ask me, mm -hmm. uh, having all that ahead of time. And I think, um, that it's been benefit. I mean, the time and the labor, that's a whole other question. <laughs> I do frequently. So how does that work if you're always on these business trips? Yeah. So my, with my new position, uh, which is uh, going to the sixth year as director of administration, um, I'm not hourly, I'm salary. So there's some flexibility there, but I do uh, train other, uh, other facilities. So I go to Los Angeles. It sounds really exciting. It's just, I'm going to like a windowless office for eight hours a day, <laughs> um, training people. And, um, Last year, actually, it took five, took about five months of my life out of being in Newark. So I wasn't in my studio for five months. I was actually working, um, you know. And I'm one of those people that travel with two two computers. You know, I have the the PC brain and the Mac brain. That's what I call it. And uh, you know, with this position, I have freedoms. Like I don't have to report to anybody per se. Then there's a VPN, let's just say. So, so there is some freedoms, you know, with, with that, with flexibility. And, um, but uh, it, it, there are days when, you know, you have to hear people say, I have an ask of you, Shoshana. Can you get this report for me 
you know, by the end of the week, EOD, you know, so things like that. <laughs> I just want to like you know, uh, melt. But uh, anyway, I could go on forever. So I'll just, okay. so that's where I'm at. So, um, and we don't have to always go in order. So you guys can just jump in here after. Um, so uh, let's talk about your work and studio balance and more specifics since you're already alluding to it. Um, how do you approach that? Do you block out time each day or do you just fit in the art making when you can? How does that work? I mean, you kind of already addressed that to some degree, Shoshana. What about the rest of you? Well, um, because my work is um, exhibition specific, I make room size installations. It usually, my time in the studio is pretty much dictated by an exhibition opportunity for the most part. Um, and so um, I'm a scheduler. So uh, one part of my background is, is theater. So you have to meet your deadlines. The, sh the curtain, the show must go on is really actually true, whether the paint is dry or not. So working a schedule is something that I, when I have an exhibition opportunity and we I've agreed on what we're going to I'm going to make, um, then I schedule it out. So that's how I, I work from a schedule 80% of the time. I was telling John Luca earlier, I'm in a, I don't call it a fallow period right now. I'm not making anything because my work is changing. So I'm sitting. So I go to my studio and sit Good. and maybe nap, but I go to my studio and I'm there. I just, there. I show up. I'm terrible at scheduling, but somehow I do show up on time. Because, and, uh, yeah, it's maybe it's an Italian thing where I just kind of need to be there for long hours. So they are kind of blocked out. And obviously, in this case, they work in and around the teaching schedule, you know. Um, and then what's important to me is also to have a studio where I can kind of live there, you know. Because uh, then sometimes I tend to do things in the middle of the night or when, you know, the, the energy flow is good. Uh, I really, for years when I had to travel to my studio, I realized that I, uh, I would often lose momentum mm. in the car, traffic or whatever else, you know. So uh, being in the studio for three days is uh, probably the most productive thing for me. And then I realized, oh, I got to run to class. So at some point and <laughs> sort of collect myself, manage to collect myself in the nick of time and I'll get there. Just a, a, like a little <clears throat> quick follow-up um, yeah. for Travis answers. So do you find that sometimes you just need to get out of that place because you live and work there? Is it, is it by the third day I got to get out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. By the third day, it's like, uh, you know, I have to grab my laundry. Like I've been there for too long. And, uh, yeah. And the work is telling me like, stop staring at me. Just go. <laughs> yeah. You do get that feeling. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's good. Yeah. What's your situation like Travis with your studio? Uh, yeah. So like my studio is in my home. It's in my basement, which actually is very convenient because I have a four year old. So I just get in there whenever I can. Uh, so there's always dedicated studio days. Uh, and I try to do those when, you know, he's at preschool. So I don't have to have any distractions or the other times that I get is like, if I wake up early enough in the evening, in the morning or in the evening while he's sleeping. And uh, sorry about my voice. Uh, he got sick and I got sick. And so that's the other great thing about having a studio at home for me is like I can run upstairs and help him out for things. Um, how long, you know, I didn't put this on our list of questions, but like how long did it take for you guys to come to the conclusion that this is how you need to work or like, or, you know, until you came to peace with this, like you alluded to the fact that it wasn't yeah. always that no, way. It wasn't always like that. I'm actually, uh, I feel very privileged, privileged right now because uh, I'm getting to work in a context that I'd sort of always 
dreamed of, you know, it just sort of took about maybe 18 years to get around it, you know, uh, but it wasn't always like that. So the teaching is very complimentary. So in that sense, it's almost like boring and not interesting. It's not really creating conflict. But before that, I did jobs that were very, very difficult to, uh, you know, manage with, uh, with an art practice. Uh, one was art handling, which I thought was going to work out. But actually, uh, as I was becoming a sculptor, the art handling and the sculpture just didn't, you know, uh, were in conflict with one another because the jobs were physical. Like sculpture is kind of like a very physical thing for me. Um, and it requires a lot of, you know, sort of preparation, mental preparation. And the art handling would, was draining my energy in such a way for years where I would often go to the studio at night and I wouldn't be able to work. I'd just be like sitting on a couch, staring at my work. Uh, completely fried and and uh, it it caused kind of depressions of sorts like oh this is not great yeah. you know so it took a little while to um, <clears throat> rearrange that so that now I have more fluid practice yeah but ultimately that maybe that bad experience helped you figure out what would work for you yeah yeah I mean the art handling was great in that it gave me access to the kind of backstage of the art world uh, but then I, I I was sort of done with it you know. <laughs> I, I bought into the idea that um, the muse will show up. You're supposed to wait for it. All oh, that shit. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm trying not to swear for 2020. Um, <laughs> I was like, resolution. <laughs> right? well, it is February 8th. Um, that was a month. <laughs> um, I, so I bought into that. That's, you know, that's what I learned. That's what I observed. And I had this aha moment. I was like, Oh, you don't get to ride on the bus if you don't show up for the bus. Mm -hmm. So I made it a habit of showing up to my studio and realizing by being in my studio, whether I took a nap or I cleaned my studio, that was how I was going to start having uh, an experience being in the studio and making. So I would say that was probably about um, 10 years after college that I realized oh, yeah, I got to do this differently because mm -hmm. I didn't almost make anything for 10 years. Like, wow. yeah, it was very little. And I was like, what are they talking about? Like, why did I get a degree in art if I'm like not making anything? I was like, oh, you have to go there to make it. Right. Yeah, definitely. I think it's uh, to, to, to lead up with that. Um, just going to your studio mm -hmm. is going is doing something. Right. You know, um, and I do fall asleep. I have a very nice <laughs> chair and I fall asleep and it's like, oh, my God, I have to eat something. Yeah. Oh no! But then, it, then it's those moments, or or reading a book, or looking at some old sketchbooks just recently, and going, "Oh, wait a minute!" Or you know, um, working on deadlines. That that to me, I, I love getting shows because with the deadline, or I'll or I'll even volunteer. Like, oh, I oh, I don't have any of that work, but right. I'll make it. Right. I'll make all that work. Right. Yes. Right. And 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 that it, that then it turns into this like that's the job, mm -hmm. right? Because that, that's the first thing is that's your first career, right? Right. It, and then the the day job is just supplementing the studio. I, I had, I'm going to jump back onto that. So when I wasn't going to the studio, I was working freelance. And what I would do in order to get myself to the studio was I wouldn't allow myself to take any of my freelance money. I paid myself to go to the studio. So I earned my money. I put it in my business, my art checking account, but I couldn't pay a bill until I went to the studio and I paid mm -hmm. myself $15 an hour. Wow. And that's another wow. way I got that's my asset. Very, that's very like way polar I opposites <laughs> right here. I, even, I stopped saving organized. receipts. Did you really? Sure. <laughs> Maybe you should be a, a career coach for artists. Wow. <laughs> <laughs>
to piggyback on that, that reminds me of the project I did in 2012 where I was working at this job. I was doing e-commerce. I was like having to retouch like 100 images a day. And I was really wanting to draw at the same time. Mm. So I wondered if I could draw and work so I get paid to actually make drawings. Uh, I found this computer program that would track my cursor as, as I was editing an image and it would create these sort of like figurative, like blind contour drawings. So I made that entire series at work, work. like 1500 so drawings. Awesome. <laughs> Those are the continuous yeah. work drawings? Yeah, these, these ones here, yeah. These are like very right like minimal, but sometimes you see like a figure. Um, yeah. You can, you can kind of see the figure in there, yeah. yeah. It's pretty clear. Yeah, so it's called like the continuous work drawings and in parentheses, double dip. So this is double dipping. Because <laughs> yeah. I, Travis, I still sell the these. pieces I saw of yours, Jean showed them out. I there. actually have some of these oh in my, my collection. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Three of them, I, I think. That. Yeah, I thought it was so smart. Um, okay, so, you know, there really, there was a time not that long ago, um, maybe I'm just old, but, you know, in the maybe 60s or 70s, it sort of contradicts the article that you sent me, but um, there was a time where you could actually get paid to be an artist you know galleries would buy your work and you know they would maybe pay for your living expenses or you might have a benefactor where people were able to squat in vacant apartments uh, or buildings that's not really a possibility anymore but it really just wanted me to ask all of you is there ever a time you were able to exist solely off of your your art making or studio practice no no never <clears throat> and that it's speaks like, it's like school yeah. It's the only time that, like, you know, the grant money or the, yeah. the student loan money, it's like, it'll come back. Don't yeah, worry. Yeah. And having, <laughs> and I having, do all that yeah. vacation. Oh, right? yeah. <laughs> but, like, oh, but always having jobs in school. But, but I think that having all that time, like, graduate school was like, I mean, I was, it was like, yeah, 120 hours a week just in the studio, mm. you know, no food, just working, working, working. Um, but that was like school, so it's not really mm. your question, but... No, it's no. okay. I mean, just like, no, never. I mean, I've got a few sales every, you know, a couple of years, you know, every year. It's like, ooh, but not enough to, you know, the uh, the endowed chair position is a nice supplement to the income that I have now, but it's not like I could leave my job. Yeah, you know? I think that was maybe an older generation of artists. I had a friend or a few friends, actually, that were able to make a living solely off of their art. But after the crash of 2008, mm -hmm. all of their collectors dried up. It's really and, a and, shame. And now it's, those, it's the art stars that are those kind of one percent that you yeah, know have right. that blue chip gallery and like yeah. they give them X amount and, you know, mm -hmm. So, but, yeah. that, but that in itself maybe can be another type of constriction because, you know, I know people who have had representation and then they're, made, they're pressured to make the work that sells. So maybe the fact that you have a job and not a gallery propping you up maybe gives you a little bit more freedom, perhaps. I don't know. Like, in some ways, because uh, I've never had to worry about, you know, making a piece to sell it. And the one time I had an entire year to myself was actually because I had a full time job. And I got laid off and then I got unemployment insurance. I was like, oh, I can actually make art for a year now and get paid for it. So that was one of the, the best grants I had. This <laughs> <laughs> is a you know, highly sought after unemployment insurance grant from the federal government. I had that for about four months <laughs> of my life. It was the best. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in a weird placebo kind of way, I, I sort of consider teaching a way of getting paid to be an artist because, uh, you know, universities uh, increasingly tend to hire artists who have an exhibition record. Uh, so that's no problem there. That's working out pretty good. Um, so in, in a way, my mind sort of factors that as a kind of stipend 
mm. for for being an artist. So that part, I think, it's, you know, it's all right. Um, but in terms of like trying to, you know, foster a career where I would have like a financial retribution, I think I pleasantly gave that up years ago because I, you know, there just seemed to be all kinds of problems with that. And then I had to think like, do I really want to do this as a career or am I doing this because I don't, I have, like, I have to do this. Like, I don't see a purpose for myself other than that. Like, I honestly like think I have that problem where if I didn't make art for my, for myself, incubated in my studio and occasionally show it, I don't see a purpose. Like any other job that I've done was just to get through it. Mm -hmm. There was no love. And, and I did pretty good. They liked, you know, usually my employers liked my, the work I did. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe just because, you know, I wasn't trying to prove anything. I was just trying to get through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think I flipped that idea, you know, after 14 years of working in the same place, it's that, you know, the, the job is allowing me to be the artist I want to be. Mm -hmm. um, and it's allowing me to afford a studio. I mean, I don't make a lot of money. Sorry, Crozier. Well, you should do something about it. No, <laughs> just in case they're listening. Uh, no, but, um, you know, um, but it, it allows me not to, like, at times I can say, oh, I need a role of arches. And there was a time when, like, I had to save up for that role. And now it's like, oh, I, you know, I have... I have I allocate my funds really well. Mm -hmm. You know, I try not to have too much overhead. Um, I kind of streamline my life so that I can afford and use most of it for the studio. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I was telling uh, some of the students down at Micah that you know when they when they leave and they find their first apartment, you know, that's not connected to school. You know, to when they go check out, make sure the living room is nice because that's where you're going to make your art right. and you're going to sleep in the closet. And so, cause I mean like that's every apart, you know, I left home at like 17 and in 91 and, you know, I, uh, I went to Chicago and I stayed there for 10 years and uh, in between undergrad and grad, it was six years where I worked as a collection manager for photography collection. And, you know, my apartment was so small, but the biggest room was the studio. And so there was this, job I had, you know, at this bank photography collection, and that it was allowing me to have a make my little studio in my apartment in Chicago. So mm -hmm. I think that that's fed through, you know, um, there, there are moments when I'm just not in the studio, because mm -hmm. that job's going to afford me the rewards later is what I'm what I'm thinking of now after, you know, after all these years. So, mm -hmm. so uh, there's a, again, I'm kind of jumping off on uh this topic, it's not on the questions, but when you were going to school and getting your MFA, isn't that kind of counterintuitive to what they told you? Don't they, weren't they training you to be a full-time artist? Like that 1% that gets represented by a blue chip gallery. Wasn't that kind of the dream you were sold? Did anybody ever tell you the reality of like, Hey, when you're an artist, you're only going to have like five jobs or yeah. what was, you know, did, did you experience that kind of like lie or, I, I have an undergraduate's degree and my professor, mentor, and and now friend has said to me, you're always going to have a job outside of the studio. Oh, so at least you got she the truth. Was, <laughs> she was real about it. She was very real. She said, the job that I have as a professor, that's that's privilege. You know, I get a studio. I get I'm I'm good. But you are 90% of artists, if they continue practicing once they leave college, will have jobs. I graduated college in 1990 best advice I ever got. Yeah, so your eyes were wide open. What I, I went in, and I was an older student going in, so I had already had a full-time career. So I knew 
I, I understood what that meant. So I didn't leave with the idea that I was going to have a full-time, you know, like, you know, even though I read it in the books and everything like that, she, I, that came back to me the 10 years later when I wasn't going to the studio, I was like, Oh yeah, I remember Valerie said that to me. It's like, that would have helped if I remembered sooner, but it, that it, you, it surfaces when it needs. So, yeah. Yeah, I would say my parents were that constant. Yeah. You know, and, and, and at the Art Institute, it was like, are you getting, you're going to go do co-op? You're going to get a cooperative job? I'm like, but I'm already working at admissions. Like, I worked through admissions for four years. I mean, you know, both my parents being artists, this was like, I was destined for a job. You know, <laughs> and I remember just before graduation, undergrad, my dad called and he was like, so you're going to like, you know, think about, a job, you know, like, yeah, dad, I'm going to think about it. He's like, okay, you know, just, but it was like those decisions, like cooperative education, like figuring out what do I like to do? Oh, I like to take care of art. I'll, I'll learn how to take care of art. And then, mm -hmm. so in undergrad, getting jobs there through the MCA when they were on, on Ontario a long time ago, and working with curator, uh, working with a registrar and learning about registration and then just taking all that information, preparatory, how to frame, I make my own frames, like how to keep those studio a lab, how to accession things, how to wrap things, how to pack things. And so that kind of came with me, you know, and then there was this whole six years where I really wasn't making any work. Mm -hmm. And I had a mentor at, at the bank where we're at the private collection and she just said, what the F, there, I'll do it for you. <laughs> <laughs> What, you know, what are you doing? You should be making work, go back to school. And so it was like those kind of pushes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and then school was like, yay, and suspended. But I had a TA position. <laughs> my, uh, yeah, my MFA didn't prepare us for the real world at all. In fact, it was a, kind of a surreal two-year incubated time with uh, a lot of think tanks and... Uh, and a strange kind of relationship where the faculty were often uh, having arguments within themselves about the work of a student that was more often than not being cut out of the conversation. I remember, you know, bringing up the issue, uh, how about you teach us how to write a grant? And uh, I think they often politely deflected that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I, I, there was no concern for the outside world at all, mm -hmm. you know. Um, luckily, uh, you know, at the time I was already working with Gene and uh, other colleagues in Newark, so I, I was prepared. I was like, oh, this is not a problem for me because, you know, I knew how to act outside of here. But I was sort of concerned for a lot of my peers who seemed a little green about it, you know. Um, they just, you know, the reality is that I think a lot of them either quit or had to rearrange their relationship with, with an art career. Um, after the MFA, so, yeah. What about the folks at the Art Institute of Chicago? Were they pretty transparent or no? No, I, I don't remember them focusing too much on like the sort of realities of, you know, making it a, as an artist. And uh, I feel lucky in some ways coming from a background, my family, we always valued work and labor. And uh, I've always had a job since I was 14 years old. And I remember my dad, you know, talking to me in undergrad and they, they couldn't really dissuade me from becoming an artist and doing that as part of my career. But he's like, you know, just make sure you always have a job. And I remember thinking about that. And I'm like, yeah. Uh, and it makes a lot of sense now. Uh, and on a funny side note, I remember um, finishing undergrad because my sister was two years older and she was a civil engineer. So she had job offers after undergrad and my mom still didn't get it yet. Like me being an artist. And she called me after I finished my undergrad degree. And she's like, so how many job offers do you have? 
<laughs> I was like, it doesn't work that way. But uh, luckily, I got a job right away when I moved to Chicago doing photo research. So at least uh, dealing with like Photoshop and those early digital technologies and manipulation paid off in some ways. Yeah. Went to the same school, the SEIC. Um, I went undergrad for for school there in Michigan. And there, there. I mean, they had. I guess you. It wasn't like announced, but there was, you know, job opportunities in the student alumni facility. Like you could, you could go to the office and look for jobs that were posted. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and but it wasn't like announced. You know, I mean, and then you're with, you're with working artists that are like professors that might not be. A, happy about doing what they're doing too mm-hmm. you know like i had that at yale it was there was no professional development class mm-hmm. you know yeah. and um your teachers were you know some were names and some were like just you know unha- you could feel the weight of like maybe some unhappiness or some grudge um and then you know you're there for maybe the name or you're there for because your family has certain clout or, mm-hmm. or that kind of thing so you know you, you come into that but no, there's no professional development. Mm-hmm. I mean, I see that in the undergrad schools now they have more of it. Yeah. You know, like how to make your resume, how to make an artist card and the statements that they do at MICA, which I was very surprised and, and the kind of relief that mm-hmm. they were having their undergrad uh, juniors and seniors show, you know, present the, what their resume looks mm-hmm. like. And I mean, that, I didn't have that. That's I mean, really valuable. you know, that, yeah, I mean, thankfully I had parents that could help me with that. When I had <coughs> books, there was like the artist guide to, you know, being, a, being an art, surviving in the art world. There was books to read, but it wasn't like, you know, we had a class on, okay, so this is how you're going to be an artist. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. There should so. be a class like that. Yeah. 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 So I want to jump back to the continuous work drawings um, and the idea of double dipping. So Travis just talked about like how he basically figured out how to like be at work and be in the studio at the same time. Have any of you have an experience where you're and, and keep in mind you're being recorded. Don't say you were stealing art supplies or whatever. But um, have you ever had an experience where you were able to kind of like do that, like double dip? And, and what was that like? Oh yeah, I mean, my boss, is, uh, old former boss, is plenty aware of the fact that uh, I drew a lot um, during office hours. Who's um, your former boss? What was the job? Uh, Rita Lamar was. Um, <clears throat> I was a wedding photographer, but I also worked in studio, um, keeping a studio open in a in a town in New Jersey, and we had very few customers. Uh, so I was just there, uh, and uh, I would draw. Uh, I think a whole series of drawings that I did. At work, we're in a show of yours. Paperwork. Actually, yes, I know yeah. three of those drawings. They're beautiful. I forgot about that. Yeah, so that that was all done <laughs> on work time. And um, we even used the photocopier. It's like drawing on yeah, photocopies. Yeah, I, I used the photocopy. I used the resources that were available within the studio. Uh, so yeah, I think that was even uh, computer paper. So uh, so I don't know about the longevity of those drawings, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, and it, it was good. It worked out. It, it was a way to be productive on a job that otherwise I didn't, you know, I didn't care to be. I didn't really care to be in that industry. I just happened to like my boss and my coworkers and, and some of the flexibility of, of the job. Yeah, that kept me with them for a long time. So. Now. The color photocopier. <laughs> we were just having a conversation the laser about color photocopiers photocopier. earlier. <laughs> I mean, yes, that's an amazing There's tool. There's so many work. I have to send that re- that in, or I need I need some, you know, I need to print out a few pictures of mine. They're really nice. 
glossy paper. <laughs> Everyone's at lunch. Just put them in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, for me at Crozier, um, we have a we have a lovely dumpster. So the only time we really score stuff is if a client is getting rid of things and everyone perks up. We're just like, you know, we're like, oh my God, there are all these frames. There's some frames that are going to go in the dumpster. Does anybody want them? Because this collector just, and then you're like 50 frames, you know, with strainers and we're all sort of, you know, it's, 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 it's a mob um, or things that they're getting rid of, or, you know, old crates are going to break up. It's like, it's, it's, we're not taking it. It's going to be disposed of. Mm-hmm. Uh, old uh, Coroplast is like, mm. if I can't get enough Coroplast, I mean, <laughs> Coroplast is a plastic uh, yeah. cardboard. I mean, I use that for framing. Um, and if it's going thrown out, you know, or Ephifoam or, or the blocks, so you can put your work <laughs> up on blocks. And so that kind of stuff. So all the garbage that the industry is getting rid of are probably the things that I can kind of take without sort of, you know, any. So the trickle down theory sometimes works. It does. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah. I mean, you know, or I'll, I'll go in that and ask the man, you know, the operations manager, Hey, do you guys have any small crates that are like, Oh, you should have been there last week. We threw out a whole, I was like, ah, you know, so, so I'm always looking, we're always, we're, and we're all doing it. It's not just me, you know, it's kind of, Oh no, the question was very, I, you know, yeah. the question was there because I know it's not in practice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll dovetail with um, one of my jobs was in theater where I worked as a properties artisan. And I actually thought as somebody who had a degree in sculpture was a perfect job because I took the skills that I learned in sculpture, which was casting, mold making, welding. Um, I had a sewing background and I could work with it in that uh, in that environment. So I, I wouldn't double dip, but I was exposed to so many designers and so much material as far as how we realize something um, for stage that it helped to explode my practice and the kinds of materials I approached and realizing that just because it's a duck doesn't mean it's a duck in theater, right? It can, um, so a story is uh, we need. I needed to fly in uh, a tree, a live tree that from two stories, and it had to be accurately hit into a stand, right? And I was. This is where you know it's like, oh, PVC pipe is not just for pushing water through, right? It's a tree stand that's going to help a tree. So th- those are the things that I learned in uh, in one of my in one of my jobs, how to use materials. And that's what the opportunity was presented. Yeah. And I mean, even if you look at your work, I mean, there's something about the theaters. There's a theatrical or dramatic quality to your work that I think is related maybe to your time in theater, as well as the way you use, you know, the armature and the muslin and the, the wax to assemble, right. um, you know, your figures. These are made out of ceramic. Ceramic, yeah. yeah. So um, the theater taught me, because we would have to sit in the theater during the um, rehearsal period. They're called 10 out of 12. So the actors are on stage 10 hours, and the staff is really working 16 hours, but they like to say it's 12. Um, so, um, and so I would have the opportunity to see how the directors were actually moving people through space. I wasn't in the rehearsals, but once we hit the theater where does, um, the lights are in, the sets are in, the costumes are in and the props are in, I actually could see how the, um, 
directors were blocking people. So that's where I actually started thinking. It wasn't actually till I actually taught as adjunct when somebody said to me, why are you not using your theater background in your work? And it took a few years to realize that I actually have the opportunity to choreograph people through space. And that's what directors do in theater. Mm-hmm. That's what, right? Yeah, so, absolutely. So that's where a lot, that's why I, uh, part of one of many reasons I became interested in working with space because you were the dancers and the actors, um, and I learned from how you experience working, uh, working through the environment. Right, right. And it's, it makes sense that you'd be working in three dimensions, mm-hmm. not two. So I want to switch gears a little bit um, and talk about your artwork, maybe in more specific. Um, so your artwork is all quite different, but I think there are some overlapping themes. And, and they um, I've identified some commonalities in the ideas of beauty or image, the self or identity, and also revulsion. Um, to some degree. Can you discuss how maybe these ideas relate to your art? And then the second part of that question is, do these themes have any correlation to your job? Not currently. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Uh, I can answer the second part. What was the first question? So the first part is, you know, the theme of beauty, image, self, identity, and perhaps revulsion. And then the second- What's revulsion? Revulsion is like, uh, like, uh, like you're, skiing, oh, you're skiing really? by it. Okay. Yeah. That's what I thought. I'm like, wow. Um, also. Okay. <laughs> uh, so it's question number two first. Uh, okay. I think for me, uh, the work that I've been doing, particularly in the installation work and some of the works with optics and lenses actually relates, uh, I've talked a lot about teaching, but it actually relates to a job as a photographer that I've done for years because uh, it, 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 I feel like that's kind of like a, a, a self-portrait uh, in a way. So I work a lot with photo materials like tripods, photo umbrellas, lighting, um, and projectors and things that, you know, that I build that maybe might look like cameras, you know, particularly in this, you know, in this line of work here. Um so there's, and that conflated with the studio practice. I, in the beginning, when I started working as a wedding photographer, I thought, oh, this is great. I'm an artist, and then I can be a photographer, and I could combine two. While I was working as a photographer, it was really difficult being um, an art photographer. I sort of gave up the camera shooting, you know, fight art pictures because the weddings were just so consuming you know, very electrifying. And, uh, you know, all I wanted to do was to paint, you know, but then, uh, as I got involved in technology with my work, I, you know, realized that a lot of those influences sort of started coming back a bit like, uh, you know, having studied architecture as, as a teenager. So I'm sort of conflating a lot of those, uh, early interests and experiences in my life in these installation works that are very much like self portraits, but not in a kind of identity politics kind of way, you know, more like, transcending uh experiences mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um yeah so so well <laughs> well shoshana your work is very figurative and very you're figurative. purposely you know you're purposely um showing some like well, in uh, terms of like identity like the idea that my work is about the sort of double consciousness of my of identity so and being on the periphery you know, of uh, sort of an ambiguity of self. And you're also addressing like norm, like normative standards. Yeah. I mean, the idea that like, um, you know, 
in the Invisible Visibility Project or series is about sort of this idea of um, going in and out of different spaces based on the way I look or that my background, but then also the idea of like not uh, being enough, not being Jamaican enough, not being American enough. Uh, Shoshana Weinberger, I'm not Jewish, so my mom never converted, so this sort of like peripheral. And then there's something about that in like the, now that Crozier getting to like the, the work part of it, Crozier is now corporate, they're owned by Iron Mountain. And so this sort of like isolation, like I feel very like, I, I, I'm not excited about corporate America. Mm-hmm. I, I don't get excited about meetings. <laughs> you know, and, and, and everyone's got to be like, everyone's got a number and everyone's like, you know, taking their HR connect and taking those, oh, they're so excited they're going to climb a mountain. And, and I'm just like feeling very sort of invisible in that way, um, which is kind of like not connected, but very connected. And the idea of like how you were supposed to look in corporate America, mm-hmm. you know, um, and then also the new rules to expand, right? It's, which shouldn't have been, it should have always been an expanse of how people look. Um, and an acceptance, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, it's kind of like the khaki jeans and the blue shirts. Um, and so that idea of like women in the workplace, being a woman that ha- is a, di- I'm a director um, and I have no reports, but um, I mean, the idea that I, the, the pay scale thing is a big deal. You know, it's like, oh, we just got rid of someone. So can you do all this too? It's like, okay. Um, and even in some cases being uh, having a boss who's a woman and she's feeding into that kind of world a little bit is very, is a little disturbing to me. Um, so kind of like beauty standards are sort of, co- sort of concurrent with that. I mean, it sort of like stems from high school. There's like a kind of a sort of a high school structure mentality, I think in the workplace, you know, clicks and, you know, the crating shop, and then you have the truckers, and you got, you know, corporate in Chelsea, and then all those people in Newark, and, you know, <laughs> and Connecticut and Florida, and UK now, um, and LA. And so, like, you have all these entities, um, and that idea of, like, where do, where does, it, where's the diversity in the workplace? Um, and is that a quota thing? But, but also being like the token artist. Which is a thing, like yes. when I when I mean they're like, oh, you're an oh, you're an artist. Oh, my son's an artist. I was like, it's nothing wrong with that, I mean, but it's just like, oh, or do you think you could design? So no, I'm not designing anything for the company. Um, but that idea that you know, when I went off to Joan Mitchell, I actually wrote for a leave of absence, um, and they were like, oh, you're you're going to come back? I'm like, yeah, I, I don't have any money. <laughs> I mean, I got this grant so I could leave for two months and pay things. And, you know, that, that felt really, that was like the one time I felt like I'm an artist, you know, like outside of like undergrad or graduate school. And, um, and I came back and they were like, we'll just make her director. No, no. Um, but um, that whole, it's like when, when I was going to go down there, they're like looking at ide- uh, ways to get me to get some business out of it. And I said, I'm going to go and I'm leaving my work phone and I'm not going to be thinking about this place for two months. And the, I remember the person uh, saying, oh, I'm, oh, yes, of course. And that was it. Like, I really put my foot, like, I'm, no, I've spent nine years at Crozier at, at the time 
2015, sorry, 2015. And I hadn't gone on a residency. I never applied to anything because I couldn't leave my job. And so once in 2014, when I got the Joe Mitchell Painters Printers Grant, I was, you know, I was floored because I was like, wow, I have some money that I could do things with. And I didn't touch it for like three months. People were like, buy a book, just buy something. <laughs> Got to buy something with that, you know. Um, but it allowed me to then say, you know, I can't apply. I'm going to apply and go away. And I, and I just went and did it. And I accepted it without even asking work about it. And then I thought, you know, I'm just going to write this letter and I'm going to tell work how long I have been dedicated to my full-time job mm -hmm. and maintained an art practice mm -hmm. and even presented my resume and showing them how many shows I've been in since 2006 right. at the time, all the while being a full-time employee. Mm -hmm. And so they were like, oh, you can go, you know. Then Shoshana and I were talking earlier, and which is I, I work outside the studio, but I, that's the stuff I do to support the habit of what I do, which is I'm an artist and I happen to work outside the studio. So that's how I've always envisioned it. But not that it's a, it's a job. I'm fortunate that I work with good people. I have a good paying job. I've worked through lots of jobs. It's always been the studio. And yes, sometimes the job takes up more time, but it's still, if, if somebody said, what's your job? It's I'm an artist. That's, that's my job. Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't use the word job, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think for me they've become so um, intrinsically connected mm -hmm. because I've always been really interested in like the history of portraiture and what it means to depict someone at a particular time period and place. And working as a photo retoucher, I'm always sort of like thinking about these things. And it, I don't know if anyone has done it before. You've seen anyone? work in a lab it's like you're in a dark room there's almost no light and you're like this close to a computer screen and you're like zooming into people's pores and other things and uh, removing these like unfavorable attributes of someone to make a idealized portrait and uh, so I just became really interested in all these things I'd have to remove from people's faces and <laughs> I'm like oh like could this be something What's, what does this look like if I just erase the entire face and <laughs> so I'm like removing the person but keeping these little like unwanted remnants of them like these little digital bits of detritus uh, and I, I thought that was like really interesting and like what, it, what would form what would it look like and they kind of looked like corporal if you looked really closely but cosmic if you looked far away and it sort of became you know further ingrained in my artistic practice i'm like okay i'm just gonna borrow these things i'm working at victoria's secret and i'm like oh like there's like this chin or like this finger or like this tiny little thing or a piece of a bathing suit and i'm like yeah it's, it's abstract enough no one's ever gonna know that i took this from like this photograph so right. it, it yeah. sort of worked out and uh, i have a different job now and they're actually uh, they know i'm an artist and that i make things and uh it's it's kind of okay and sometimes if i have an easy project i have a lot more mental space so i can actually stream something or listen to something as i'm working so I, i'm always trying to constantly find ways to uh capitalize on my time i think especially since now that i'm like a father so it's like my time is even halved even further um so it you know maybe like really laser focused i'm like okay i have an hour I'm going to do this thing. Or like I'm on the bus and I'm going to read this or I'm going to work on my iPad. Yeah. So 
<clears throat> I want to talk a little bit more about time as it relates to value. So in our culture, time is money very frequently, you know, that expression, um, which is also related to issues of compensation and labor. Um, so can you, a lot of you work with time as an actual subject. Um, can you talk about that, that idea of time as both the subject, but also as a component of making your work or one of your concerns as an artist? I mean, it's sort of, there's multiple levels of time. I think that can be remarked on um, both as maybe problematic and both as inspirational. Can you speak to that maybe? Well, I make multiples. So it can take me three years to realize an installation because I don't make one thing. I make a thousand of them. <laughs> I don't mean to sound like that, but um, I do. And it's the, it's the joke. Like the show that I did for Mary, right? There's 14,000 pieces in that show. Right there. That's the one right that was there. at the Center that, for that Visual piece Arts. 14,000 wow. pieces. And no, I don't just want to you know, have the wall, I want to change out your ceiling, Mary, and I want to put a new floor in Mary, and I want to make a new column, Mary. So, my, <laughs> all true. God, love you, Mary. <laughs> um, uh, all true. So, time, I, I guess I, the value of time to me isn't about the dollar. The value of time for me is the expression of involvement, and the value of time for me is the memory of the making and the amazing installation pro experience I had. That's the value of time. I have never, I don't equate time and money. Mm -hmm. I can't. That's a that's a constraint of. Uh, sorry, we're going to get a little political here, right? Sure. Um, so that's a constraint of capitalism, and yes, I don't absolutely. In it. And that's why I brought this up yeah. because you're kind of caught between a philosophical mm -hmm. desire and the reality of our mm -hmm. society. Mm -hmm. And it's a very difficult thing to balance. So I'm going to have to swear again. It's bullshit. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, there's another, much better. there's another relationship to time I see with your work though. And this goes to the narrative or the thematic part of your work. You often deal with ideas of contagion or mm -hmm. epidemics, right? which is contingent upon time. time I mean, they right. spread over time. Right. So that's another kind of overlapping mm -hmm. consideration with time I see in your work right. uh, in true. particular. Mm -hmm. and, and now, I don't know, are you, are you going to maybe do something about the coronavirus? I, you know, it's funny. I had thought about it. I, I really am in a, uh, I have thought about it, yes, because how can I not think about it? <laughs> how can I not think about it? Um, um, yeah, I don't know right now. I, I told John Luca right now. I'm uh, I'm excited to be making a series of very shitty drawings. <laughs> That's freedom. Is that the title? I should make the title. So they probably is, sell really well because it's about. You know. it's, it's just about the making. So as a, a side note, is I, I had a year that was I really thought was a fallow year, and I, I gave myself permission to make shitty work, and I remember went really realizing that at the end of the year, it's like, oh, wow, that was really crappy work. And I even put it on exhibition and saying to other artists, have you ever made shitty work? <laughs> and all of a sudden you find out everybody does. Of course. We just don't, we don't talk about it because we, you know, again, yeah. part of that image management is like, oh, when I go to the studio, I'm producing, I'm like, no, I make shit. You know, that's <laughs> <the> reality. <laughs> I, know, I just want to jump in. I actually am working with an artist right now. He's got his show at my gallery. It's not a picture of the show, but um, 
he has a whole series called Making Mistakes, and he makes shitty drawings, as you say, and he just, and you know, he would crumple them up and throw them on the floor. And one day he realized, you know, if I pick up those drawings and put them in like plexi, now they're objects, they're yeah. sculptural. And he has a whole series called Making Mistakes. I love that. And, and it's a beautiful piece. And I think it's very generous of him because even though he's at a level in his career where he is a full time artist without a job, he is very uh, forthcoming with mm -hmm. the with the concept that like not everything he touches is golden. Like it takes a lot of work to get to those masterpieces that sell. Which goes back to the time. Right? Yes, it's exactly. About, it's about the making. And he has the luxury of just making all of these mistakes because twenty four hours a day belong to him. Not right. not eight hours a day. You know, going to a job. I need to use the word luxury with time. Possibly. Mm -hmm. Better than money. <laughs> it's more honest. Yeah, yeah, no, it's very true. It's, it's more true. honest. I, I appreciate that thought about, um, you know, time not being money. Like, mm -hmm. I, I see it in a very similar way. Just trying to move away from as many late capitalist tropes as possible mm -hmm. uh, so that then you can maybe free yourself and, and um, experience something outside of that structure, which mm -hmm. is kind of very regimented. Um, I have time in my work yes. simply because there, is, you know, there's components and there's um, modular parts and then there's video and sound and all those things. But I think time in a way for studio practice has been more important uh, for me uh, as a kind of cyclical experience because I tend to be somewhat eclectic and work on different bodies of work at the same time. And then sometimes there'll be the one-off that's really, really great. Mm -hmm. But somehow I'm not mentally prepared to engage it as a series. It's like, oh, okay, you sit over here, and then maybe I'll see you in two years. And uh, lo and behold, I will go back to old ideas. I've never thought of those as being um, like outdated. I think in the art world, there's this kind of idea that like you know you do something, then you move on to the next thing, and the next thing, and that becomes old. And I, I just reject that. I feel like art is very cyclical. Um, and materials and processes that you know maybe just were good but not again you were not ready to engage fully at one point mm -hmm. um do come around in my work at a later time so i'm constantly i think i'm moving forward by moving in a cycle you know <clears throat> i think for me i just go towards like whatever is like happening on a day to day just because it, it trends form so much it's like i go from like waking up and uh, getting my son and dropping him off at pre-k then running to the bus stop and i'm in a bus and then i go underground in a tunnel and then i go in the subway and it's like a form of like time travel and then i'm like <laughs> I, I walk 15 minutes after that and then i i sit in a room without windows or lights for eight hours and then like i emerge and then it's like it's nighttime and you know you do the whole thing over again so i i think about these different instances during my day that are so different and like the different roles that i have and mm -hmm. they sort of like influence my practice and like these little like micro elements uh so I, I i try to like keep them all in my head as i'm working and it's it's part of my studio process it's like i'm, I'm always thinking about the work like there's always so much more time that goes into a piece than it probably appears it was made. It's like you could make a really amazing piece and it took you maybe 15 minutes, but you could have been thinking about that piece for three years. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You have a dedicated time 
you know, and time is that's a whole construct. Like, right. you know, it's all like about my like I'm going to get my review soon, you know, mm-hmm. and it's all about you know that's a construct of like you know getting a raise mm-hmm. too. Right. So it's all measured on like how well you're doing mm-hmm. based on the what kind of time you're you're taking you know, using at at work. I, I find that like five thirty to like midnight is like the time that I can work during the week. And even if I'm just sitting in my chair or, um, or I start making a whole bunch of things, I always do a drawing when I come to the studio. Mm-hmm. Um, and those mistakes are the things that kind of are the catalyst for creating a new body of work or continuum or this connection. And I've had two series, uh, the Invisible Visibility series and the Strange Fruit series that I've been working on for the past uh, 12 years. And they kind of go back and forth, you know, they're like two different it's like two of my favorite meals, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of like, like sushi and I like Indian and like sometimes I'll eat sushi for a whole week and sometimes I'll have Indian all week. And so it's like, it's like those kind of things, you know, and then, the, and then each of those kind of like blast off into other little things. Right. Um, and I, I find that that because I'm getting paid um, every two weeks, mm-hmm. there's some, there's like, I don't have that kind of fear that, I'm wasting my time um, because I'm going to get a result of that uh, uh, on Fridays, <laughs> uh, you know, twice a month. Or, if, oh, I hurt myself. I can go to the doctor. Like, there's, like, this kind of thing. I was talking to a friend of mine, and I said, I just hate my judge. I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit. Sorry. This is streaming. Huh. Um, and, you know, and she was like, you're so lucky. And I'm, you know, I kind of went, watch, you have like healthcare, you have 401k, mm-hmm. you've been there for 14 years. And I was like, well, yeah, I think I have 20 days off of paid leave and, you know, mm-hmm. and, she, and you have sick, I mean, she was kind of convincing me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you have sick time and you have personal time. And, you know, and so part of me now, you know, mid, oh, the mid mid <clears throat> years of my life, and I'm thinking, <laughs> you know, thinking about it. Like I never, I never, I don't really believe in retirement. Like I was never raised to believe in retirement. Like in that kind of way, like we're gonna retire and sail on a boat. You know, yeah. it's like this. Why so boring? When you're on the sea, I would throw up every day. Um, but like the idea that like I kind of have the freedom. Like I'm, I'm. This is new. This is yeah. a new thing for me. Like I'm. I used to hide that I work. You know, I used to go to gallery opens and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm in the studio. You know, no, no, no I have to go back. I have to go to a meeting on 930, a daily stand-up, say what I did yesterday, what I did today, and if I have any obstacles. And it's like, I want to say this job. But, um, you know, it, it's like now I'm starting to embrace the fact that, you know, this. when I walk into my studio, I'm like, oh. I'm home. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm in my cave. I'm in my lab. And there's because of the way our system is here in this country, I have to afford it. Mm -hmm. I need to afford it. And um, so now I'm kind of embracing that and then embracing the fact that I have a lot of friends that sort of can't do it. Mm -hmm. Oh, I can't, I don't have a studio. I can't make work. And I'm like, you can make work anywhere. Mm -hmm. You don't have Mm -hmm. to have, you know, that, that that whole, that that comes from like school or comes from, you know, the sort of art world, you know? I would add that when I uh, also about talking about time, um, I, I look at I don't have enough money and I don't have enough time sometimes as a symptom of something greater. Mm-hmm. So if I say I don't have enough time, that's really about me and how I how I'm choosing to spend my time. So. Uh, like again, 2020 has been great for me in the sense of like, okay, less uh, cell phone time. And I've already finished two books. 
I was like, oh, okay, yeah, so um, time, uh, it's how I assign value to time, my personal value, not what culture tells me is valuable. So uh, just like I, I think if somebody said to me for, uh, you know, which I would totally do, so just know this, Lori, I would really like that piece of art. I don't have any money, but I would make you quiche for a year. I'd be like, I'm in. You're making me dinner. No, like, because that, because it's not, it's not a monetary exchange. It's an exchange of value. You care enough about the work. What you're willing to exchange with me is I make really great quiche. I really need to eat. I don't want to cook. We have a deal. Like, yeah. it's, a, it's an exchange of commitment. And that's valuable to me. I'm going to call you up. Totally. <laughs> Find out what your other favorite foods are. I agree with you with Shoshana is that work can be made even if you don't have a studio. And I, you know, what's, I think what's fascinating about Travis's work is that it's reminding me that intermittently I've thought like you mm -hmm. where when I didn't have a studio, so I had to kind of figure out like, how can I make work during, you know, and so there were those drawings and there were like other little projects, you know, so I've always, we've had this conversation I was like, oh, yeah, I, I, I know what he's doing, but he's doing it on a kind of larger scale where it's become like your sort of your practice, you know. I mean, to have a studio at home is really, I think, the ultimate thing, yeah. you know. Um, I mean, for me, it would have to be so, totally separate. Like, I'd have to walk to it on the same property <laughs> or I'd be, you know, cooking all but the time. But studio at home <laughs> starts with the studio you had at work when you were just in front of a computer and you had to figure out, like, your drawings and, yeah. you know. yeah. Um, and that's that's challenging, uh, but it, it can be done. Yeah, yeah. It, it's funny, like we um, just had our profiles, uh, we're photographed for our job because like they're doing promotion, and like so you can see like my picture on like the company's website, and we had to write a little mini autobiography, and I'm like, oh, like how do I write something in two sentences? And I I think I wrote, um, yeah. Uh, if I'm not sitting in front of a computer at work, you'll find me sitting in front of a computer in my studio. <laughs> and like, I'm pretty much always in front of a computer. It's like the computer is the studio. Did you guys do like before touch-up and after touch-up photos? We, we didn't, but we had to retouch our own portrait. Oh. <laughs> yes. Wow. So... How much do you, I know you don't like to think um, this is going toward your comment, Lori, about not thinking of the value of time, but do you think about the amount of time you put into a piece when you're um, coming up with a value or a price? Is that a consideration or you think only about materials or scale? Like what are, what are the considerations when pricing your work? Is time ever a consideration? Again, because I do installation-based work, I'm just looking to pay for assistance and materials. Mm. I only, yeah, I only consider it when I have to propose something like a project, and then you know, then the metho the methodical monster in me comes out and lists everything and does the research and figures out what all the costs are. But otherwise, in terms of studio, mm -hmm. nope. Yeah. Yeah. I usually have someone else help me with that. I'm terrible with pricing. So I, you know, if I'm if there's a I have somebody a dealer in Miami, so I'll ask her. Well, who who are your customers? You know, like wh what size does this go for? Mm -hmm. uh, usually, depending on size for me, because I do uh, I do drawings, flat work. So mine, or if they're framed, it would be a different price. But um, yeah, I, yeah, that oh, 
Yeah. yeah. It's so funny because when, when I you had sent this question to us, Jean, I was also thinking about, oh, that's like a resume thing, right? Because in, in the work world, you have a resume, and as you move, you get different salaries and different tiles. And in the art world, it's the same thing. So you, when you're starting out, you get, you know, this is your price point. There's really not too much in the middle range, but that would be this. And then you have the, the 1% is this. So it mirrors the job resume is what I was thinking of when I saw that uh, question about uh, time and money and the sale of artwork. So it's a little tangent, sorry. But no, 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 I hadn't even me. thought of that. Or if some artwork got... Uh, like for me, I have some work that's been you know, on magazines and things mm. like that. So then there's a certain value that's added to that being ex an exposure to maybe your career. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, I've had pretty good guidance with people saying, oh, that was in such and such magazine. That was in the South African magazine. Well, that, oh, if it's gotten so many, you should, you know, maybe up the price. Yeah, you know, and it's, but it's such a strange, yeah. like, what is this worth? Mm -hmm. You know, what it... Um, for me, it's like I have my faves, and I'm like, oh no, that'd be ten million dollars. Yeah, <laughs> cough it up, you know. And then, then you know, then there's a work you want to keep for your own collection, right. you know, for your own artist, you know, archives. And then um, it's, it, and then there's the work that everyone w wants you to make that's old work, and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, no, I have those. <laughs> so. Well, if, if the collecting was consistent, then it would be easier to factor because you know that maybe you go by surface, uh, square inch, and then you you know the more you sell, the more you bump it up. But I think we all, yeah, despite our levels of successes, we all have very inconsistent sales. You know, mm -hmm. so how do you? It's just so. If I sold the piece for two thousand dollars two years ago, what does that mean? Right. Two quiches now. now. Two quiches now. <laughs> 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 really good quiches. It's not like the truffles in there. We're going to have to work out a formula here. How many quiches is that sculpture? I'm getting very hungry. I'm getting very hungry. You know, that might be increasingly, uh, you know, with, with global warming, uh, that might be increasingly a thing. There's a, we might have to figure out new systems to uh, sort of, sh you know, share new economies. Right. So it's not mm -mm. totally out of the question. Yeah. Um, yeah, and my, and my question clearly has a capitalist slant, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. the whole time money thing, because mm -hmm. there are other yeah. ways to think about it. <clears throat> no, no, it, it's, it's funny you mentioned that, because I've been slowly experimenting with, like, selling, like, digital works uh, through, like, blockchain technology. You can make a unique digital piece, and it's tied to, like, a token, and therefore you, someone can prove digitally on a computer that they own it. And like, you know, mm -hmm. people can still see the image, but you can prove that you can own something now. Uh, so it's sort of like a, a nascent market, you know, so it's like, yeah. I know about blockchain for my job. Yeah. I was not invited to learn, but I, I know about it. Oh, I, I can tell you all about it. That's a separate panel. <laughs> In terms of like selling stuff out of my studio and people not being able to afford it, I do like a payment plan. You know, in some cases, when it's somebody, uh, I've made, like, so I have a couple of collectors that are young in their 40s and their husband and wives, and they're like, want to build collections. They want to go to artists. And it's like, well, uh, we can't afford, but we can, do, we can do a payment plan. And it works out great because mm -hmm. I get some money in every month. Right. Doesn't have to be, it's a nominal amount. Right. And then when it's over, the work's theirs. Mm -hmm. And I've been getting paid. It's kind mm -hmm. of, you know, it's like a medical thing, right? Mm -hmm. You got to pay the, 
the hospital over right. time. <laughs> so, I mean, you can think of yourself as it's a for-profit, mm -hmm. it's a for-profit business, which everyone forgets, you know. It is a business, that, that absolutely. Idea. So you have to kind of like navigate yourself like a business, you know. Mm -hmm. They should have like an MBA program just for art, art, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> That's one of my favorite talks, uh, things to talk about as a, as a curator is the business of art. Mm -hmm. So, all right. So we, I just yeah. want to make sure we've exhausted that before I move on. So it, that kind of leads me to the next thing, though. So how do you do this all? Because really, we've just talked about, you know, you're a full-time artist. You're also full-time whatever your, you know, your main job is during the day. But, you know, being an artist entails so many things, um, maybe public relations, social media, administration, writing grants, blah, 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 webmaster. Um, so other than the things I've already listed, or maybe in addition to the things I've listed, can you talk about like what other tasks that you've got to take on as an artist that also eats away at your time? Because it would be wonderful if you just spent all day in the studio, but that's not the reality of it. I mean, it it's like everything. I, I think I'm, I was doing this interview that's supposed to be coming out and I'm like editing the video footage and I have to send them a digital file for them to make the print for the edition. And we had to do like write the interview and I had to edit it and we had to like share it on social media and promote it. And it, it's pretty much everything now, uh, unless like, you know, you have a gallery and like they'll do that, all that stuff for you. And even if you do, a lot of times they won't. Or Absolutely. I was going to say having a gallery or representation is no guarantee that you're off the hook. Right. Because I know plenty of artists that are still having to do a lot of administrative things, even though they have representation. Yeah. I call it the community economy now because a lot of galleries, many galleries are more artist run. And it's a, it's a shared and mutual um, and I'm, I'm for that because that is a, a community that's raises that raises us all up in that way. Um, and I don't see any division now as, so I was thinking about like, if I had to think about the ratio of my time, um, one hour to the studio, one hour for administration. And if I divvied it out one hour of dust settling time. So the time where I'm trying not to be thinking about the studio or maybe reading that book or something like that. Um, and then, like we had started earlier, is it's it's fluid and it changes per project. Because uh, so one of the aspects of my day job is is finances. So I have spent the last three months preparing the company to have their taxes done. So I, you know, the best I could do was say I'm going to read an article this week. That was my studio for the week. So it's just going with the demand and um, or the need, and I keep it very fluid in my mind that every day is different. There is no recipe. The chocolate chip cookie recipe today is not the chocolate chip cookie recipe for tomorrow. Um, and that keeps me from not being frustrated any longer um, of not getting to the studio or not um, getting the things that I need. Um, and also um, I'm older and I realize that um, it's just time to let that go um, because I want to have an enjoyable life uh, so that when I'm in the studio and at, at the job that pays my bills and provides my health care healthcare insurance, that they get the best of my work also. Mm. So, um, and I learned, uh, so this is the thing about the, having a day job is the skills that I need for my job. Sometimes I have to, my skill set to help the company I work for. I'm a winner because that helps my art 
Like, okay, I'm going to do the social media. So I'm really going to dive deep into Instagram. Great. I just learned a whole bunch about that. So while it's not double dipping, it's parallel. And just as um, I, part of why I was hired by the company is because of what I've learned in my studio practice. I can schedule. I'm really good. Uh, I'm good with uh, budgets. I'm good with streamlining processes. I'm system oriented. I brought that to the job. So it was, it's not mutually exclusive anymore. I don't think it is in any, any, position whether it's a job or in the studio yeah. anymore i think it's just the new economy basically yeah yeah, yeah. you experience sort of fluid, that yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. i think i think i live on punch lists you know? yes the punch list and it's like on my phone and then mm-hmm. i have it like i ha- i'm a two-phone person so i have the corporate phone and i have my my wow. personal wow. and so wow. i'll have to say like you know studio visit um friday four o'clock with so-and-so collector work phone sick or getting sick or no no that's not true no 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 late lunch worked lunch. all day yeah. and okay it doesn't matter 14 years ago. um and so punch list is like i i have it listed like you know work gene images bio i have like a bullet boom 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 slat okay uh sketchbook show gallery Firo. Uh, blah, 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 pack up work, you know, da, 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 walk. Like I even write that down and I cross <laughs> it off, breathe, cross that off. Okay. Um, and so I am uh, like the, the ruler of lists. Like if I'm, I, before I go, you know, n- not this week coming weekend, but next weekend, I'm going to be going back to Micah to Maryland Institute of Art. So it's like bag stuff, you know, underwear, <laughs> Uh, get information for that one student. Like I have a little punch list of everything that I need to, that I need to, and, and I just live with it. And I love crossing it off. It's so nice. Rewarding. Yes. Very rewarding. Even like went to the bathroom, cross that up. No, 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 no. <laughs> not that crazy, but, um, Oh, I, I did though. No. Um, but you know, so it's like that, that rules the day down to like call Grammy, call your grandmother. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and I think that that's like scheduling, you know, that there's something about like, and, and putting that information in my work phone sort of like on the down low. Well, it's a repository so have, of, yeah. so that you're free yes. to go through the day knowing that it's been collected. I yes. think of Dumbledore when he goes to collect his, the, the thoughts and he puts them in a little magic cauldron. Yeah. Like that's what the list is. That's it's a is. magic cauldron. No, it's great. <gasps> I'm so excited it's, about the list. Yeah, it's great. Like go to Home Depot, get cement things to make sono tube, you know, like okay, done. You know, like then it's I go back to Yeah, I mean like and lunch. Yeah, I mean it is liberating. Knowing how to f- knowing how to function in the nine to five to make it work for you. Well, also, you once know, it's on the it's list, really... then you're absolved of remembering and you just refer to the list yeah. and you just get it done. Exactly. Yeah. Like you don't stress about it. It's yeah. on the list. Exactly. Okay. Yep. Um, I have to, I guess for my work, I have to think about, uh, geography, location, location, Mm -hmm. placement, you know, where, where am I and where's an audience for, for this work? Um, so I have, I think a situation that is good, but also challenging at the same time. I mean, I'm in Newark, New Jersey which is a great art community. I've been there for 15 years. You know, there's people like Shoshana there and Jean and Travis on occasion comes in and out, but there's a very diverse community. Um, But, you know, at the same time, Newark is a city that in terms of its themes and its legacy and its history, uh, you know, for all the right reasons, wants to deal with issues of 
civil rights, social justice, women artists, you know, and I'm always there, you know, at the shows or if there's a protest and we have to, you know, throw some rotten tomatoes at corporate America, like I'm, I'm there for that. Like I'm front line. It's like an Italian thing. Wherever there's a protest, we go. Uh, it was a great way to get out of class when I was a kid. So you kind of, it's kind of built, in, <laughs> it's kind of built in you. Um, but I don't know that it's necessarily a city that, you know, um, where I could find uh, a continuous platform. So I have to migrate, like I have to go places, I have to you know, meet people that are interested in, uh, in, in my work, you know. Uh, so, th- so there's definitely complications in how, you know, it, it, I could be project myself and my work out there to, to the world and having to kind of navigate the right sort of channels. Um, so New York City is great, but I, I don't know that I could ever, I would want to afford a studio in New York City at this time. I mean, we all know the difficulties of, um, of you know, having a studio here and the prices and all that. Not that Newark is dirt cheap. It's not anymore. It's also challenging, but at least like there's an economy that's work forming, you know. So then I have to have a kind of virtual projection or I have to, you know, kind of go places and, and mm-hmm. find things that will respond. Yeah. And the question was like, how do you have the energy to do it all? Yeah, like, I was gonna, I was gonna recap the question because, yeah, oh, yeah, that is the question. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I feel like it's at a point where you just do it no matter what. You, you have to have the mindset where, like, whatever you're doing, you're gonna make this art, and you're gonna continue if you had ten jobs or thirty jobs or no jobs. Uh, so that's how I've always been. It's like, even if I wasn't physically making something, I was thinking about making that thing, uh, no matter what, like when my son was born, I have this like photo of him, like strapped to me and he's falling asleep. I'm like, okay, I can work on the computer for like 10 minutes here while he's napping. Uh, so just like finding each little minute to work on something and, you know, slowly they would accumulate to something that I was like happy with. Um, and I think that's how it's like worked out for me so far. Have, have you guys ever pulled, I have pulled more all-nighters uh, in my 30s, 40s, and 50s, I'm in my 50s, than I ever did in my 20s. Ever, <laughs> ever in my 20s. Uh, I can relate to that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I can relate. At, yeah. at that but part they're good all-nighters. I, I'm not yeah. saying they're not. I'm just, There's it's no cocaine involved. <laughs> <laughs> But you know that it's about in order because I want to I want to go to the studio, so I'm willing to give up sleep, mm-hmm. and I still have to go to my job to the job. You know, so um, I just have found that uh, I just have spent more time up, you know, twenty twenty four hours I mean, for me in that case and support at home. Yeah, so that my uh, fiance is like he's a big support for me. Mm-hmm. So it's like I'm not coming home, so we have two dogs. Yeah. So he's like okay. But when are you coming home? I, I don't know. Yeah. Don't call me. You know, <laughs> uh, I mean, that, you know, that, so there's another the community, too, mm-hmm. so that he's, you know, in that community. So mm-hmm. it's like that kind of support's really important mm-hmm. um, just to do. I mean, because you have to, because right. you have to go back. To, I have to. I have that 930 daily stand up. Right. Right. That I have to do every yeah. day. Um Monday through Friday. And, uh, you know, so that all nighter is like, of course, because it has to happen because I'm going to have so someone curator coming over. I got to make sure everything 
look so and they asked me for this and I got to unearth that I don't know where that piece is and you know yeah. So, yeah yeah I think it was part of why I was talking about it is to dissuade the uh, I always think that other artists are doing it like they've got it like they've got this they got the healthcare they, and the reality is is like we're all you know Joes and Janes doing the best that we can do it's messy like it's messy life is messy Uh, i don't know about you but i got four loads of laundry waiting for me when i get home because i wanted to do other things not laundry yeah but you know and that's why i think this panel is really important because you know artists have been you know invested or at least part of the system that makes it look easy and that doesn't talk about the issues we were talking about today and and i really think it's important that you're willing to contribute to this issue of transparency about what it really is that you do and what it really takes to be an artist because the the more we're willing to buy into this you know oh i'm an artist and not talk about your day job it kind of keeps the myth going um and perpetuates this non reality of what it is that artists do and what kind of energy it takes and maybe i don't know if we keep talking maybe young artists will understand you know really what kind of commitment it takes um but anyway we could have talked about so many more things um but i really do want to take the time to open up the florida questions we have less than 10 minutes left until four o'clock um so do you have any questions back there thanks <laughs> Thanks, Mary. Um, I, I think this is going back to your original and initial question, Jean. Um, the idea of the sort of the chicken and the egg. <laughs> and I'm thinking specifically sitting here because Travis's work is on display. I, I'd love to ask you. Um, I don't see a way that you make this work if you didn't have the day job that you have. Um, and I'm, that may be an assumption on my part. Um, but, you know, I just wonder if that's sort of like the, the thing we don't talk about. What, what, let's say you win the lottery tomorrow and you, and you, you know, you're a millionaire and you don't have to work. So how would your work change? I mean, is, is there any value in, uh, the, the jobs from which we are able to extract some kind of material for, for what? for what we do. And I know that that doesn't necessarily um, apply to the other people, but I'm just curious about that. No, I, I would say in the, many ways, it's definitely influenced um, ideas within my practice as I've gotten more interested in, you know, like computerized labor and like self-perception and like image manipulation, uh, especially with like artificial intelligence and like using like these machines that can actually create portraits themselves that actually look realistic. Uh, so all of those things that have been privy to in the you know fashion industry has influenced my ideas, even though I had ideas about the history of portraiture and, you know, those are the things began before I started those jobs, but they just sort of like solidified my interests. Uh, so I would probably still continue around like the same ideas if I did win the lottery, which is a really funny thing. Like I used to always have these dreams of winning the lottery, but I would never buy lottery tickets. So I, it was always like an oxymoron. <laughs> it's kind of like what Lori said. You know, you have to, you have to kind of, yeah. have to go there. You got to have buy to like, tickets. you know, go there. Got to get on the bus route. Mm-hmm. I'm also just curious. I, I know um, John Luca being a teacher, I, it's easy to imagine how that can enrich someone's practice, but speaking specifically to, to Laurie and Shoshana, wondering, is there anything in your day job that, that you can actually, um, 
quantify as you know having an influence on the work that you do if if in fact i wouldn't say the work not. that i do but how i navigate as an artist so my identity as an artist how i send an email out how all my emails are all caps with my name and i have like this you know i have a certain sort of font and i have um i almost addressing the maybe the curator or the interested parties as, as if i'm my own gallery you know um i have my own packaging i have my own rules how everything's packed um so i'm kind of like creating this brand of myself right and i think that working in the nine to five world there is a brand right and there's a certain way to act and there's a certain way of corporate not that i'm corporate but there's a certain way to address somebody or talk to somebody or the deadlines mm -hmm. and getting back to them and you know often more than often they're like oh my gosh so nice working with you as yeah, an artist like, skills, like thank that, you you yeah. got everything we needed and and i also you know let me know if these Im images are opening or if they're big enough blah, blah. like i'm very you know almost as if i don't have a job I don't have a day job. I have a I have a like five people working in my studio, you know, making sure everything's yeah. just right. And I think that that's the persona that I like to keep because I I have friends that I went to school with that are very big names in in the world now, um, and they have assistants. Some of our friends of mine, you know, and they they work in that kind of you know factory setting um and i want to appear like you know shoshana weinberg studio i'm not an llc yet but you know we're working on it and uh, let me see if i can get back to you i'll find out what what what, what my calendar's like it's wide open but i'm going to see what my calendar's like on that given day and and then knowing that i have the day job in some cases i'll say oh yeah we could do a studio visit from one to two because i can do a long lunch or sorry or if yeah. they're listening just getting so paranoid um and i can do like a take a break yeah. i'm busy just you know like things like that very very common please um, my, my day job is in new jersey as a curator but i get my hair cut in new york so so there you go i can't tell you how many studio visits are near my hairdresser <laughs> with art or or the, the, the classic was i had to deliver artwork very small gallery in delaware and i had to I took two conference calls while I was driving my artwork down yeah. because I would have been sitting around a table, mm -hmm. but I'm just driving my work down to Delaware, drop some off. And then the pickup was the same. So um, I think it's just the, a great point. Yeah, the yeah. way to navigate. It's just the, how do you know, like we put on so many, so many hats and masks, you know, we're talking to collectors. We're like, Oh yes. You know, like I have no idea what they're talking about. But um, you know, what restaurant that is is probably like my annual salary. Oh, lovely! Oh, everyone's having shots of tequila now with the little you know gummies or something like that. But you know, and then you can. But that's how you navigate through the. I mean, and that's how I've navigated as a woman of color, as a as you know somebody within that kind of double consciousness world. You know, um, in the different religions, religious worlds of my of my family. So kind of like going through that. But also knowing what's what's to be expected, mm -hmm. um, you know, and more people appreciate that they want to work with you again. I, I look for the golden nugget. So my current job, while it doesn't influence my work, it nourishes me because I'm exposed to everybody as a practicing artist on the staff, and we have artists that are coming in. We make paint for artists, so it's an enriching job. My theater job more paralleled with the kind of work 
that I make. So I just, I am, I have the theory of the golden nugget, which if it's not working, you have to find what is working, even if it is that doesn't work. And this is why I learned why that didn't work. So. Does anyone else have any, another question? It's about four o'clock, but yeah. maybe we could take another one or you want a huge time rush now? Yes. Okay. So if there's no other questions, I just want to say thank you for spending your afternoon with us and thank you to Undercurrent and especially thank you to the four artists who were willing to lay bare their soul and talk about all the dirty underbelly of being an artist. Um, and enjoy the rest of your afternoon. We'll be here if you want to. So that was Jean Brasilli, Travis Leroy Southworth, Gianluca Bianchino, Lori Fredette, and Shoshana Weinberger talking about what it's like to be a working artist. Thanks for listening, everyone. As always, you can find out more about Undercurrent at undercurrent.nyc, which includes links to Undercurrent's social media profiles and to this podcast archive. We are also on Instagram as undercurrent.nyc. Leave us a review, like, and subscribe to the podcast. On behalf of Undercurrent and 1984 Products, I'm Adriana. And I'm Wasir. Until next time. <laughs>